We're going to be in the book of John chapter 9 today. John chapter 9 is uh, this tremendous story about Jesus revealing himself to not just, uh, not just the people in the story, but to the world and to us about who he is. I was thinking about it last night. Uh, in, on August 28, 1996, Tiger Woods was at a press conference. It was his first press conference right after he turned professional in golf. And he said two words that changed uh, marketing, especially in, in the game of golf. He said, uh, hello, world. Hello, world. They, they seemed like these just off-the-cuff words that uh, people started to like Tiger Woods. But within days, people realized that those words were not an accident, but they were a carefully crafted marketing scheme by Nike. Two days later, they put out this ad about a minute long, uh, chronicling Tiger Woods' life leading up to that moment, how he was the greatest amateur uh, golfer of all time, that he, he had won all of these championships in the years previous. And then one of the lines even said uh, that at that point in 1996, he wasn't allowed to play at certain golf courses in the United States because of the color of his skin. And after every one of the remarks, they would show two words on the screen, hello world, signifying that Tiger Woods was about to be the greatest golfer, professional golfer, possibly of all time for the next period of years. And it caused a huge stir. People boycotted Nike over the ad. People started to root for the other golfers just to spite Tiger Woods. There was this investigation into who Tiger Woods really was. Hello, world. John chapter 9 is a little story about how Jesus kind of says the same thing. Hello, world. And there's a, there's a furor over who Jesus is. Some people think, yes, he is the Messiah, and some people investigate Jesus and say, no, this man is a sinner. But no matter which side you fell on, Jesus caused a stir in the people. Hello, world. John chapter 9 opens with this incredible statement. As he passed by, he saw a blind man, a man born blind. But if you back up one verse... Uh, if you back up just one verse, you'll see the end of chapter 8 ends like this. So they picked up stones to throw at him, at Jesus. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So how, why? Why is there that break? It's almost like a movie where this really climactic moment happens in a movie, and then the very next scene is this thing like, why is that even there? Well, if you back up in the story, John chapters 7 through 9 are taking place at this thing called the Festival of Booths, where the Jewish people would go and celebrate their history. They would remember how God had led them out of Egypt, out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt. And at night, they would line the roads uh, with lamps, uh, signifying the way that God had led them out of Egypt, and he was a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of light. By night, leading them out, God was the light of the world, leading them out of their bondage. And so, in John chapter 7, the disciples decide, hey, Jesus, let's go to the Feast of Booths. At that time, the Jews were not just remembering their history, but they were praying that God would send them a Messiah. Send them somebody to lead them out of bondage. Somebody to be their light in the midst of great darkness. 
John chapter 7, the disciples say, Jesus, why don't you go to the Feast of Booths and reveal yourself to be that Messiah? Jesus says, not right now, you go. A little bit later on, he joins them. John chapter 8, verse 12, he says this statement. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, in the middle of this festival where people are praying that God would send them the light of the world, the lamps are lining the streets, Jesus says, I am that light that you've been looking for. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. So then they get into a fight. The Pharisees say, you can't be that man. You cannot be the Messiah. They get into a fight. You don't want to get into a fight with Jesus. Uh, Stuff happens. They pick up stones to throw at Jesus. And then, John chapter 9, verse 1. Today we'll study a miracle of God, Jesus, healing a blind man, signifying that he was the light of the world, He is the light of the world, leading men out of physical blindness, yes, but more importantly, out of their spiritual blindness. More importantly, out of their spiritual blindness. This is an illustration of how the light of the world, Jesus, operates. John chapter 9 is, yes, a miracle, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's more than just the event. One of my favorite preachers, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, He said this about Jesus. Nothing our Lord did was done haphazardly or accidentally. All his actions were deliberate. All our Lord's miracles are more than events. They are, in a sense, parables as well. That means they're telling us a story. They're teaching us something. Everything Jesus does in this event was done for a reason and a purpose. Three things that I want us to notice today. One, the miracle, what what actually took place. Two, who Jesus is, who Jesus reveals himself to be, the person of Jesus. And then three, our condition before Jesus. Because we're talking about a blind man. We're talking about us. We're talking about John chapter 9, but we're talking to Citygate, to you right now. The big idea today is that Jesus, the light of the world, displays his works to the world by opening the eyes of the blind. He still does this. John chapter 9, verse 1 starts, as I said, by saying this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. You've been studying a series about blindness. Pastor David called me on Monday night. I listened to both of his messages on Bartimaeus talking about uh, people's blind spots. How people, Jesus is restoring vision to people, especially in their blind spots. I would contend with you today, though, that this man in John chapter 9 didn't necessarily have blind spots. He was blind. From, the Bible makes it really clear that, that he had been blind from birth. There wasn't an event that sparked this blindness. He didn't have poor eyesight. His eyes were dead to light. He came into this world not seeing the light. He lived all of his years up to this point not seeing the light. For all he knew, he was going to die not seeing the light. This man didn't have a blind spot. He was blind. He was blind. This passage is about more than just physical blindness, though. 
Jesus is not only addressing a physical blindness, but he's, he's addressing a spiritual blindness. Man or woman suffering from spiritual blindness is without hope because their eyes have been blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their eyes are dead to seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the, the church at Corinth, and he says this, that if, if, if their eyes... If the, eyes, uh, if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Because in their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Church, that is your state before Jesus opens your eyes. Spiritually blind. Dead to light. But... John chapter 9 goes on, verse 2. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, here's a, a little bit, like just, maybe you're like me. We like to have answers for things that are going on in the world. Jesus uh, is clear he doesn't say that sin is not the cause of suffering. Sin is the cause of suffering. The only reason why blindness exists in the world is because sin exists in the world. But the disciples are asking a different question. They're saying, who sinned that caused, him, that caused this man to be blind? They want a specific cause for a specific suffering. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it always works. Yes, sin caused this, but not, you can't connect a cold to the fact that you lied to your mom three months ago. The world, the world doesn't work like that. But we, we tend to operate that way. Uh, even think about, I see Patriots jerseys out here today. Like, if the Patriots were to lose today, immediately. <laughs> Amen. I'm, immediately. Immediately, JJ would be like, who sinned? I knew I shouldn't have eaten that burger last night. We want specific causes. I only I wear the same shirt if, if I'm a big Iowa Hawkeye fan. I know that's weird. Just I love the Hawkeyes. I wear the same shirt if they win one week to the next, and then if they lose, I switch my shirt the next game. Like I, I, I have my rituals that I do because I think somehow I'm affecting the play on the field. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no. This man is not blind because anybody sinned. He's blind. He's been given this suffering by God to display my works in the world. Amen. To display my works in the world. Jesus Christ is the only one in history who's ever been able to give a reason for suffering. Ever been able to give a reason for suffering. People always try to give reasons for suffering. But Jesus in this moment says, why is this man born blind? He goes on, because we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. My time on earth is coming to an end. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Why is this man suffering? Because through him, Jesus Christ would reveal himself to the world. Hello, world. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Through this man's suffering, Jesus Christ was about to display God's healing power. Healing power in the physical blindness, but more than that, healing power in his spiritual blindness. 
Through this man, Jesus Christ was about to display God's glory as greater than sin's stronghold. God's glory is greater than the suffering. Some of you are suffering today. Some of you have walked through a, a tremendous suffering. You know, the Bible talks about the way that God responds to suffering in different ways. Sometimes, like this story in John chapter 9, uh, sneak preview, he heals that suffering. Sometimes, he doesn't. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes and he says, I've had this thorn in my flesh and I've asked that God would take it away, but he won't take it away. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. No matter what the suffering is, whether he takes it away or not, he's given it so that his glory would be put on display in the world. My wife doesn't know I was going to share this story. Her grandfather passed away a couple of weeks ago. And uh, at, their, at his funeral, they shared a story about how he would talk to the nurses. He had diabetes, and he, at least one of his legs was amputated. And the nurses would say, aren't you mad at God that he took away your leg? And he'd say, mad at God? <laughs> he created me. He gave me that leg. I got a lot of good use out of that leg, and then he took it away so that I'd have this conversation with you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We don't thank God for the suffering, but we sure are given that gift so that we display who Jesus is to a watching world. In a world that likes to wrap up, uh, man, things, misery and pretty bows, we've actually got a joy on the inside that we can share to the world. When we're pressed, when we're persecuted, we have something that flows from us that is far greater than this world ever had to offer. Money doesn't do it when you're sick. Money's worth nothing. Jesus Christ is far more valuable. Let's go on. Verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Weird, but okay. It's one of Jesus' favorite ways to heal people. Makes mud with saliva. I think uh, Jesus is signifying, I created you. With, out of dust you were formed. I created you and I can heal you with the same dust. I am the Lord over creation. It says He wipes the man's eyes with the mud and then he says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Jesus could have uh, healed him in any number of ways. He heals people in different ways throughout the scriptures. He's, he, he heals him at his word. In this place, he says, go to the pool called Sent. Again, 17 times in the book of John, uh, Jesus is talked about as the one sent from the Father. John is, uh, is a book calling us to look at Jesus who is sent from God. He is God in the flesh, which means sent. So he went, the blind man, and washed and came back seeing that's the historic miracle. Now, I know I'm probably doing bad on time, but uh, today, let's take a time out. One of the lessons, one of the, the minor brushstrokes in this passage is the way that Jesus interacts with a suffering man. It gives us a little picture of how we should deal with people in our own communities who are suffering. Today's Sanctity of Life Sunday. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, both of which remind us that people are suffering. Sanctity of life, the unborn, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, for a long time in American history, people, black people were, were treated uh, unfairly, horribly. 
This is the way that Jesus says, deal with people who are suffering. First, he approached them. See, in verse 1, Jesus passed by a blind man who didn't even know who was walking, and Jesus approached him. Do you approach? Do you stop and take notice? Second, uh, Jesus affirms his value. Verse 3 talks about the fact that Jesus stopped and, and said it's not because this man sinned that he's in this condition, but that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Nobody, nobody is worthless. All men, all men and women are, are valuable enough to have the works of God displayed in their life. Do you treat people with dignity and respect? Third, he treats them with a kingdom love. He stops, he talks with them, and he gives them something that that man could have never given himself. In this case, it's healing. That may not be the case for us, but do you treat them with a kingdom love? When people have encounters with you, are they, are they brushing, against, brushing up against the citizens of heaven, or do we just walk past? Do we see the suffering and love them? Do we see the suffering and think, let's not be that way. It's not that way in the kingdom of heaven. Let's care for it right now. That's, that's the way Jesus responds to the suffering. Story goes on. There's the, there's the miracle. Story goes on then um, to this investigation of the miracle. Investigation of the miracle. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. Side note, it could have been easy for this guy just to say, different guy, I'm going to forget my past and I'm going to move on in the future. If you've been healed, don't rejoice in the fact that you suffered, but rejoice in the fact that you, that you had a healer. Right? So he keeps saying, I am the man. He doesn't say, that's, that's not my past. He says, yeah, that was my past, but I, I've been healed now. I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Watch what this man says about who Jesus is throughout the passage. He never says the same thing about who Jesus is. It always progresses. First, the man called Jesus. I made mud and then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. Makes sense that he wouldn't know he was blind when Jesus sent him. <laughs> I like that John put that in there, though. Verse 13. Then they brought, to the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Even, even the act of making mud was considered to be against the law. So he had broken the Sabbath by kneading, K-N-E-A-D, kneading clay to heal a man. That was, that was against the law, so they said, uh, he's sinned. He's broken the law. Jesus is reminding them he's the Lord of the Sabbath by healing a man on his own day. He needed mud to heal, him, to heal him, so he did it. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? 
And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Second, second answer that he's given. First, it was a man called Jesus. And now he said he couldn't have been just a man because what man can touch my eyes and then I see? He must be something more. He must be a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had been blind and received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he sees we do not know, know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Uh, I'd like to point out that I kind of identify with his parents right there. Um, they're being dragged in front of the, the Pharisees, dragged in front of the synagogue where they worship, and being asked to answer on their son's behalf. Their son was a grown man. My parents would do the exact same thing. Maybe yours would too. Would too. They're being asked to answer for something that happened to you. They would say, Why don't you just ask him? He's able to answer you. So that's what they do. They say, ask him. He's of age. Why did they do this? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. This is how big of a deal this was. They feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus as the Christ, one of, uh, that really, really means, like, not, not that they actually believed that he would be the Messiah, but if they were seen to be friendly with him at all. If they, if they looked like they um, were okay with Jesus, they would be thrown out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for a second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Really what they're saying is, if you, if you give glory to God, you'll agree with us. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind, and now I see. (laughs) I wonder how many of you, how many of you would have that story? You don't really know all of the things that Jesus has done yet. He's in the process of opening your eyes, or think back to your own story. He was in the process of opening your eyes. You couldn't explain what was going on in your life, but you could say, one thing I do know, I was blind. And now I see. I was blind, but now I see. If that's you, if if you are having your eyes opened right now, embrace it. I was blind, but now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and would you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love it. I love this guy who was blind now is treating the Pharisees with some sarcasm. It's amazing. And they reviled him. They insulted him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. They insulted the man. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know from where he comes. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? 
We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The third thing he says about Jesus. He goes, a man called Jesus, to his a prophet, to he is from God. He's, he, he's starting to put it together. Three things that I would ask you to know about this particular scene especially about the way that a group of unbelievers are investigating a miracle by Jesus. Number one, unbelievers, uh, even unbelievers find their lives centering around Jesus when he transforms something or someone near to them. They can't escape it. Think about your own families. When you had your eyes opened to the gospel and you started spending time around your families who didn't know Jesus Christ, somehow they had to explain it. Somehow they had to say, you're a little different, even they start to find their lives starting to center around Jesus, whether they believe or not. They're having to ask, answer questions about whether Jesus can actually do this. The world spends a whole lot of time talking about a man they don't care about. If you're picking up, like, non-Christians who say Jesus uh, couldn't transform people's lives spend a whole lot of time trying to argue away that he, the fact that he transformed people's lives. Even unbelievers find their lives centered around Jesus. All of life centers around Jesus. Second thing, the unbeliever will always try to explain Jesus away or attack his credibility. Number one, they didn't believe him. Verse 18 says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. That's an easy, willing unbelief takes no effort at all. I just don't believe it. You say you're different. White knuckling it, man. I don't believe Jesus could transform your life. But if that doesn't work, something like a, a, a man born blind having sight, something that is indisputable happens, what do they do? They attack the credibility. Verse 16, verse 24, the Pharisees said, this man is a sinner. Couldn't be the Messiah. He couldn't be the light of the world. He's a sinner. Then third, unbelievers always ask the wrong question. And I, we start that way too. Verse 17, what do you say about him? Is the way that they phrase the question. It matters who we believe Jesus Christ to be. It matters who we believe Jesus Christ to be. In other words, who do we say this man is? Who do you say? Who do, we, who do you say Jesus is? Denying what Jesus has to say about himself in favor of who you want God to be is idolatry. This is not new to our culture. Our culture always asks the question, like, who do I believe God is? And then we fill in the blanks and we create a God in our own image and we worship that God and it's idolatry unless we say, who does Jesus say he is? And then we respond to who Jesus is. We don't get the freedom to just define our own God. But culture always defines their own God. Even, even people in the church will say, well, I want Jesus to be this way and I can prove it to you because uh, in the great movie, Talladega Nights, Cal Naughton Jr. has a great quote. I like to think of Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. That's the way our culture tries to define Jesus. Who do I like Jesus to be? 
I like to do this, so I want my Jesus to do this. But Jesus answers the question for himself. Who do, who do you say I am? Who do I say I am? Jesus answers the question. Verse 5, he says, I am the light of the world. You see these lamps, you're hoping for somebody to lead you out of your bondage to darkness. I am that light that can lead you out of the bondage to darkness. Who do I say that I am? I say I'm the Messiah. Verse 32, where he says that never in the history of the world has anybody uh, healed a man born blind was an important statement because he knew these prophecies of a Messiah who was to come. The healing of blind men in, in the Bible, the history recorded in the Bible, is a miracle restricted to the hand of God. In the Old Testament, he says God heals the blind. In the prophecies, he says Jesus will come to heal the blind. In the very first prophecy Jesus read to inaugurate his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, he stands up in the temple, he reads this prophecy from the book of Isaiah, and one of the prophecies it says, I will give sight to the blind. Then he sits down, mic drop, starts his ministry. What does he do? What miracle does he do more than any other? He heals the blind. At least five times he heals blind men in the Gospels. He says, I am the Messiah. Not signifying that I can heal just physical blindness. The importance is, I've come to give men sight in the spiritual realm. That's right. I can open the eyes of your heart to see the light of the good news of Jesus Christ. You're in darkness, you're blind. You need a heavenly hand to pull that shade back. Jesus can pull it back. Jesus can pull it back. This story is, yes, a story about a blind man being given sight. Don't throw that away. But it's an illustration of the fact that when you believed, Jesus Christ opened your eyes to see the light of the glory of God for the very first time. For the very first time. I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. He goes on in verse 35. They cast this man out of the synagogue. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So, uh, get this picture. Uh, this man, this man who's in the synagogue was a blind man, has been so bold that he would proclaim the name of Jesus to the Pharisees. And they throw him out of the synagogue. I want you to know, before we even move on to that, I want you to know that in the history of the church, God had, has used men and women who had no business leading anything to lead the charge of the church. I'll prove it to you. There's a man born blind in John chapter 9, a beggar at the gates of the temple, given sight for the very first time. And what does he do? He stands in the middle, like before these Pharisees, and stands boldly on what God has done for him. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, rejected Jesus three times. Three times before the crucifixion. A few weeks later, when he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, preached, and 3,000 people got saved. All throughout history, St. Augustine. St. Augustine was a man uh, from, the, from the north of Africa. He was a sinner, and he would say this about himself. He was given over to any sexual immorality that you could think of. If you read about St. Augustine, you'd be amazed to think, wow, that dude sounds a lot like me, maybe. And one day, he goes up to the roof, and he hears these children singing a song, and he feels like God is speaking to him to read the book of Romans. He picks up what Paul had written in the book of Romans. He reads it, and God opens his eyes to the light of the gospel. 
A lot of men think St. Augustine is the greatest theologian of all time. God has used men and women who had pasts that they thought God could never redeem and reconcile to lead a charge in the world. The church grew a ton in the early parts of, of the Roman Empire because the Romans, when they would have children and they weren't children that they necessarily wanted, they would put them at the, at the gates to die around the walls and the Christians would go scoop them up and raise them as their own. Jesus Christ takes the outcasts, molds them, shapes them, empowers them with his Holy Spirit and says, go do the work of the ministry. If that's you today, your past can be redeemed and reconciled. He'll mold you, shape you, empower you the Holy Spirit to go and preach the gospel and change the world. He's already doing it. Whatever God wants to do in the world, he's going to do through all Christ's people. All of them. All of them. Verse 35 says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus asks him that. Verse 36, he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So he says, uh, who is he? This man was not yet a Christian. He wasn't yet. He didn't yet believe in Jesus Christ. But he wants to. He says, who is he, sir? Jesus said to him, you have, look at that word, seen him. This man was born blind. He hadn't even seen his parents' face before this day. But Jesus says, today you have seen me. You've seen the Messiah. You've seen the light of the world come to rescue you out of your bondage to darkness. Today you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And verse 38 says, he, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. <laughs> you want to know if you're a believer? Do you worship Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? A lot of people, a lot of people live in the church regard Christians only by the works that they do. Works are good. A true Christian, a true faith will obey. But do you believe and worship Jesus Christ as Lord? Have you submitted your life to him? Do you obey his commands? Do you love him and does that cause you to fall and worship him? Have your spiritual eyes been opened to see the light of Jesus Christ? And when you see that light, you will worship. You will worship See, this marks the full progression. You see this man, he says, uh, Jesus, that man Jesus healed me. Then he says he's a prophet. Then he says he's from God. And then finally he says, Lord, you are Lord. I believe. But then, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. In verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. And said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So no doubt the Pharisees thought, if I ask him this question, he's absolutely going to say, yes, you're blind. And he basically says, yes, you're blind. But he takes a few words to say it. He says, well, well if you were totally ignorant, if you didn't care at all about these things, then you may not have so much guilt. You probably wouldn't be asking this question. You would just be like, eh. I'm blind. But you Pharisees, you claim to know the Messiah, but he's staring you in the face. And you don't see. You don't see. So today, I ask you the question, there, this man, John chapter 9, this story is a story about a miracle, who the person of Jesus is, and then our condition before that, that Jesus. 
Today, Jesus is looking you in the eyes and saying, do you believe in the Son of Man? So which are you? Do you answer like the blind man, Jesus is Lord? Or do you answer like the Pharisees, we don't know from where this man came? Is Jesus your Lord or is he a stranger? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-6 through six, Back to what Paul says, he says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of gospel. But in verse 5 he says, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. If you are spiritually blind today, the same God who spoke to the blind man and said, go and wash in the pool, is speaking today. And he's saying, I can give you your sight. A sight far more valuable than any physical sight. I'll give you spiritual eyes to see the light of the glory of the gospel for the very first time.